0: was 10 years old when she contracted a rare autoimmune disease, which impacted her spinal cord. Dana's mom wanted her to give adaptive sports a try, and she ended up falling in love with the sport of wheelchair tennis. Dana will go on to attend the University of Arizona on scholarship to compete on their wheelchair tennis team. Now, the two-time Paralympian is the number one ranked wheelchair tennis player in the United States and currently ranked top 10 in the world. Let's chat with her. So, Dana, I'm so glad that uh, I'm able to talk to you again. This will be the second time I've had a chance to to chat um, with you. But for those that may not know uh, who you are or your background, I thought maybe we'd just give a, a two-second overview um, and have, uh, have you just tell me a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. Um, so, I'm Dana Mathewson. I'm a member of Team USA as a wheelchair tennis player, and I've been lucky enough to be on Team USA, gosh, since... I think 2008 was my first time representing, but I've been to two Paralympic Games. I went to Rio and Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, number one in the U.S. and number 10 in the world at the moment. And just feeling so lucky that I get to travel the world chasing a little ball is my job.
0: <laughs> I, I like that. That That's a good description. Chasing a little <laughs> ball is my job. So
1: Yeah, I'm basically a glorified dog, but I get to travel
2: a lot. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, I uh, I'll just leave that at that because (laughs) you're more than a glorified dog. So, and obviously, I want to dive right in in terms of that's that's the what I wanted to talk about is is the sport uh, of wheelchair tennis, and um, what is it about that sport for you that excites you and that has you, you know, keep keep going at it, you know, year after year for at this point.
2: Um,
1: I think that probably many sports are this way. But for me, tennis has been addicting in both a good and bad way and that there's always something better that you can do. Mm. And what I mean by that is that there's just always something to learn. There's a new skill that you can acquire. Um, Like, yes, there's only a finite number of shots that you can learn. But in terms of, say, it's a drop shot or a short angle cross shot or a line or what have you, like, you can always if you don't have that shot at all in your arsenal, you need to learn it and that takes time. And then once you've learned it, you can learn to use it in different situations or with more spin or less spin or different spins. Like, do you see what I mean? There's so Mm -hmm. many different (laughs) combinations of things that you can learn. And that is equally frustrating and it's (laughs) exciting. Um, So I'm never bored. I'll say that there's like, you know, always something to work on. Like people were making comments about Roger Federer at the height of his as his career and kind of being like, well, what do you think he even works on? And I can assure you that his coach had a laundry list of things saying like, this could be better. This could be better. This could be better. As, as much as an athlete can look perfect, there's always something that we could be better at. And, um, tennis is very much that way, which can be very humbling. But then on the same, on the other side of the token, like when you get something right that you've been working on and it comes through for you in a big match, it's like the best feeling so I think that's kind of why I've stuck with tennis for so long.
0: So kind of, as, as you alluded to, you can, maybe, maybe you've mastered, you know, two or three different ways to hit the ball, but there's always a different way or a better way.
1: Always. Yeah. And there's always, you know, like what's cool about tennis. And again, I'm sure other sports are this way too, but I don't know anything about them. <laughs> um, tennis is constantly changing. So the person that's number one in the game usually dictates, that style of play for that time because everyone's trying Mm -hmm. to model their game to beat that person. And when there's a new number one, whatever style that they have becomes the new style of play. So when I first started women's tennis, at least, um, was a little bit more defensive. It was more about who is the most consistent and who would get the ball back just and like, you know, more times than the person across the net. It wasn't necessarily super aggressive. There wasn't a lot of firepower. Where now, I would say over the past maybe five years, the women's side of wheelchair tennis and the men's side too, but I can really only speak for the women, has become a lot more about heavy spin, being a lot more aggressive, taking time away from your opponent. And so again, that kind of goes back to my previous answer where you have to be able to reinvent yourself and you have to be willing to be outside of your comfort zone in order to adapt yourself to whatever style of play is necessary. And, um, yeah, I equally love and hate that too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and how did you first get into the sport? And, and even as a young Dana, how did, uh, what, I mean, obviously that, that was a, that was a great answer and, it, and for you for the moment, but obviously when you were younger, you weren't thinking of those things. What attracted you as a, as a, as a young, um, uh, wheelchair tennis player?
1: Um, so I, when I was growing up, and when I was still able bodied, I really didn't like tennis. I remember that, you know, my mom would have my brother and I go to tennis camps in the summertime, just as something to get us out of the house and stay active. And I didn't hate it. But I wasn't like, Oh, yes, it's tennis camp week, you know, like, I didn't really like it. And then um, I got, I got hurt when I was 10. I got a rare autoimmune disease that left me a T10 paraplegic in a matter of hours. And I was in the hospital and long story short, a bunch of rehab counselors talked to my mom and told her about adaptive sports. And she was like, yep, she's going to do this one, this one, this one, this one, and this one. And she wanted me to basically have like the, the buffet of all the different adaptive sports and wanted me to try them all. And I had no, like no inkling to want to do any of them. Mm. I you know i I hadn't really been exposed to anyone with disabilities, much less any athletes with disabilities. Like at that point in my life, a disabled athlete seemed like an oxymoron to me because mm. I'd never seen it, you know. Um, it was like pigs flying. I just never seen it. so I was like, mm-hmm. that's crazy. And I'm embarrassed to say that now because i' I see now that it's a huge part of the world's population, but it's like the world's best kept secret, you know, like those who know know, but those who don't know. Um, really are very much in the dark about it. And I was one of those people, but my mom was very insistent on me staying as active as I was prior to my injury and literally forced me to go to different camps. And um, so I did basketball, I did rugby, I did all these different sports and loved them all. But for whatever reason, I remember going to tennis camp and I picked up a racket and I remember hitting some forehands And any tennis players that are listening to this or that read the article will identify with what I'm about to say. The feeling that you get when you hit a forehand just right, Mm. when everything aligns is like such an addicting feeling. And I can't really explain it to you, but it's like the perfect feeling. And that's what every tennis player is chasing all the time. Mm. Because we only hit a perfect forehand one out of 30 times maybe, but those 29 times that we don't get it make you like, God, I really want that one time again. And, um, I think I had a little taste of that feeling and tennis just became it for me. I just loved it.
0: And when did you realize that you were good at it and that you wanted to compete at the national and and even international level?
1: Right away. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) 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 Um, I think it was more of like a snowball effect. If I'm honest, I don't ever remember there being this one match or one moment where I was like, you know, had my breakthrough. I think I'm lucky enough to have been given good genetics for my parents that made me athletic. My brother's very athletic too. So I think I've always taken to sports fairly well. Um, So I never, I didn't really struggle with tennis the way that, some kids tend to struggle because it's very detail oriented and that can scare a lot of kids away. Um, and I'm also very stubborn. And so I think being presented with all those different tasks and details that I had to in with tennis, I was like, okay, I'm going to get this right. Um, so I just kind of plugged along with tennis. And then I think that different coaches saw me at, at a camp that I went to and they kind of implied that if I started to play more tournaments and stuff that there was maybe a chance that I could be on the U.S. junior team. And, you know, you hear that and then you're like, okay, you know, of course, I'd love to try that. And so then you start playing more and more after school. And I started entering tournaments. And then I started to get a ranking and then started to, you know, things just kind of snowballed from there. So I think I was really lucky that I was in the right place at the right time. Uh, You know, I lived in a city that happened to be hosting a national junior camp so that people Mm. from, you know, the, the USA national team could see me had I lived or grown up in a different city. Maybe my life wouldn't have had the, the trajectory that it does. Um, but yeah, I think my mom signing me up for that camp was the start of it. I met the right people. I think I must've performed well at the right times. And then different opportunities just happened to come my way. And I was really lucky to be named to the U.S. team for juniors in 2008 and then kind of branched over to women's in 2009. And I've been lucky to to kind of be there ever since.
0: And I think just talking about those different Um, I don't know if it's called divisions or not, but like, so juniors is obviously for young uh, players, right? Yes. And and I don't know, is it a certain age, like up to 18?
1: Yeah, it's up to 18. And they do have girls rankings and boys rankings. But Mm -hmm. when you're at tournaments, juniors compete co-ed more or less.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Um, And I kind of came onto the scene, although I started playing around the age of 13, I didn't really play competitively until I was closer to the end of my high school year. So I didn't really get to compete on the junior circuit that much. Hmm. So my time with juniors was more limited, and I kind of jumped more or less into the women's game.
0: And and you were playing, of course, wheelchair tennis uh, in the junior, junior division, right? And then what about at, at high school? Did you play on your high school tennis team?
1: No, I didn't. Um, hmm. So I know that Tatiana's Law is like an amazing thing now where – you know, everyone has the right to represent their high school in different sports. And I think that's amazing. At the time when I was in high school, I didn't know about that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think for whatever reason, I wasn't too interested in playing for my high school team. I think I was just super happy with the setup that I had where it, I wasn't forced to really be super competitive with the sport at the time. Um, I got to go and play with different players and chairs down at the Barn Center in Point Loma. That was where I really learned to play tennis. And I was also playing basketball all through high school. So I kind of had my little routine where I'd go to school and on Tuesdays and Thursdays, it was tennis and Wednesdays and Fridays, it was basketball. And I think I was happy that way. And I think to be honest, I getting hurt around that time, like middle school, high school, I think I was so desperate to fit in that I didn't want to do I think probably psychologically I didn't want to do something where I was the odd man out because I was already the odd man out with a lot of other things in my life. Mm. And so I think I do regret it a little bit because that would have been a great foundational thing for my tennis career playing with my high school. Um but I think maybe in terms of like mentally and where my head was at with like coming to terms with my disability, I wasn't ready for that and I was it was easier for me to still kind of play in the pond where Everyone else looked like me.
0: Mm. And that's a very valid, you know, stance, right? We have to be, we, we meet ourselves wherever we are. Yeah. And I, and I know, but I know one of the, one of the benefits or exciting parts of the sport is that, you know, wheelchair athletes and adaptive athletes can play with, um, with able-bodied athletes, you know, on a, whether it's a local city park court or in, in, in tournaments, you know, it's uh, the, the, the rule of one extra bounce. Otherwise it's yeah. the same court. So I know for many, that's an, um, a reason, you know, why people get excited about the sport, but I, I appreciate uh, your your perspective too, because you know I know that I know it is a difficult time when you when when this one something new is happening to you, but ter- particularly when, when you're young and when you're an adolescent, yeah. and you're already de- already dealing with all that, all that comes with that. So. Oh my
1: gosh, yeah, I would. I'm so happy that my teenage years are behind me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and so. Um, and then you, you mentioned obviously from juniors and and you went into women's um one of, one of the things i wanted to you know kind of hash out a little bit is just like obviously the di- the different um categories Co- of course there's men's and women's and quad right that's the yes. kind of paralympic level um sport and and how do how does the women's group you know kind of in terms of like things like classification and el- eligibility how do how does the women's division handle that
1: Gosh, you're really hitting on a hot button here in wheelchair <laughs> tennis. You know what you're doing. Um, So there's three divisions that are considered open class or professional. And that's, like you said, women's, men's, quads. And then for people kind of coming up in tennis, there's also USTA divisions, which are A's, B's and C's. Mm-hmm. And so that's for people to kind of work their way up before they want to graduate to going pro, which I think is a great kind of feed up thing. Mm -hmm. um in terms of classifying yourself into those it's really just based on what you feel your ability is um which is great because like you were saying before you can kind of meet yourself where you're ready and kind of dip your toe into whatever competition you want once you go pro though you do have to be classified in previously and when i first started playing there was no classification it was self done which is Mm -hmm. unheard of (laughs) for paralympic sport because As you know, Paralympic classifications for like swimming track is like cutthroat, like it's very serious. And if you're, if it's a number scale and you're 0.5 over something, you're in or you're out and tennis has, gosh, I don't know how to politically answer this. Tennis has been very soft in that. And I don't know the reason for that. Um, A lot of the players have argued very um, loudly against it and want to have more structure to our classifications. But like I said, when I first started and all the way up until maybe five years ago or maybe even a bit more recent than that, there's been no classification for men or women. The only classification we've is for the quad division. And for those that don't know, the quad division um, is for individuals that have limitations of their upper extremities um, and usually at least one arm, but often it's two. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, for women, it really has been wide open. If you've had any disability, people are like, I want to play wheelchair tennis, and then they're in. That's been changed now where you have to have... I don't know the exact specifics of it. But obviously, if you have paraplegia of any kind, you're going to class in more or less. Um, if you have a limb-like discrepancy, if you have an amputation, if you have you know, an obvious disability, you're going to be more or less in. There have been some discrepancies with different disabilities that people have had, whether it's like a hip problem or things like that, where you're more or less still able-bodied. So I know that there is a scale that's being used, but I think what's unfortunate at the moment is that that scale seems to be very subjective. Mm. So some people are in that don't make sense and other people are out that also don't make sense. Mm-hmm. So I think that they're trying to really firm that up. But at the moment, classification is a little bit of a mess <laughs> in tennis.
0: I think classification is always a challenge in yeah. any, any pair of sports. So it's always one of the hot topics, as you mentioned. Hot
2: always. Buttons. Yeah,
0: yeah. And and one of the things that I think is exciting about wheelchair tennis is that it's really one of the few professional sports. And most people don't realize yeah that uh, you can have a disability and play a professional sport. And you've been been doing it, obviously, for for a while yourself. And so what is that like to be able to essentially play a sport as a career and something that you enjoy doing and want to do?
1: It's amazing. I think that's probably one of the things that made me lean a bit more towards tennis because I was playing basketball through high school and I was toying with the idea of going to Illinois for college to play basketball but I think there are just so many more opportunities in tennis that I was attracted to, whether that be the travel, like it's insane that I get to Mm -hmm. go to Japan in April and then in May, I'm going to Paris and, you know, like it's a little bit more glamorous or it sounds more glamorous than it is because I'm not going there and going to the Eiffel tower every time, you know, I'm really seeing (laughs) a hotel and I'm playing tennis, but the fact that I get to do those things in different parts of the world is incredible. Um, I think that when I first heard about wheelchair sports, like I told you, I was in disbelief that they were going to be anything competitive or worth anyone's while. So to know that that's become something that I get paid for and that hundreds of people around the world get to say that they're also professionals at is amazing. And the fact that we're now featured at all four Grand Slams, that our draws are increasing at those Grand Slams, that our prize money is increasing at those Grand Slams, that um, players like Djokovic or Kyrgios or players like that know about wheelchair tennis and they they try to like spread awareness about us on their channels as well it's really exciting to be part of a time when there's so much growth and appreciation for for the sport and I'm I'm gonna be jealous I'm sure of players that are playing in 20 years time and I'm seeing probably how they're integrated even more into huge events that the able-bodied side already has um, but yeah, I feel very fortunate that I'm part of um, one of the few really professionalized wheelchair sports out there.
0: And um, not obviously talking specifically, but like, can you make a living, you know, cause you mentioned the prize money, obviously, and just like when winning any tournament, um, you know, can, can one make a living uh, playing, playing the sport?
1: Yeah, you can. I would say that at the moment it's, Not easy for everyone to do it. I think that the tour itself, in terms of like the majority of our tour, and when I say that, I mean all the different tournaments that we have that are hosted across the world each year that we play. Mm -hmm. Um, Most tournaments on the tour, you will... If you do really well at it, you will break even. You're not really making a profit. Mm -hmm. So I would say that until I was able to, to qualify for Grand Slams, I was not making enough profit to comfortably live on.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: and to be honest, I was actually going to quit tennis after Tokyo, because at that point in time, I think my ranking was 10. And again, at that point in time, slams were only accepting eight players. Mm -hmm. So to put that just in perspective, I was the 10th ranked person in the whole world. And I wasn't good enough to play a grand slam, um, which is insane. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, at that point in time, I wasn't making tens of thousands or whatever dollars, um, each time I played a tournament. And so I wasn't, I wasn't making enough money because you're spending tens of thousands of dollars every year to get to tournaments and, mm-hmm. and all those things. So tennis is just, it's an amazing sport, but it's also incredibly expensive to play. I think a lot of people see that, oh, there's a chance to win money, but you're spending a heck of a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so the tour is trying to get a bit better by now, like they're increasing draw sizes at slam. So now 16 people can play at least in Australia and at the U S open as of right now, 12 people get to play in Paris and that's just for the women's side. The men also get 12. The quads have their own draw as well. Um, Wimbledon is still at eight at the moment, but hopefully they'll increase their draw sizes. And the more and more that increases, the bigger the prize money pop becomes. And then more and more people are able to make more or less of a living is the prize money the same as you see on the able-bodied side? Absolutely not. Um, for for reference, a lot of times when someone is a first-round loser at a Grand Slam, they make about eighty thousand dollars. For us, the person that wins a Grand Slam makes between forty and sixty. So it's still less than the person that loses in the able-bodied side. And I understand a lot of times money is um, congruent to like how many players are in a draw. So if you have a huge draw, your your prize package is bigger. And our draw is quite small. So it makes sense that we have less money. But I do think that there needs to be growth because they're the ones capping our draw. It's not because we don't have the people.
2: Right. So um, it
1: is trending in the right direction and um they're doing a lot to promote our sport a lot more at the slams which is really exciting to see and like we're playing on bigger stadiums we're now on you know like for all the slams you can find my matches on like espn plus i know that overseas they have channel 9 or they've got bbc has got all sorts of different things like eurosport um so it's been great in that way there's still a lot of room to grow but i'm very fortunate now to answer your question (laughs) that I am able to make a living. But a lot of it is due to sponsorships as well. Like if I was just playing tennis, um, I would be doing okay, but I wouldn't be comfortable. Whereas at the moment, I think due to my tennis level rising and the social climate kind of being more aware of athletes like myself, more sponsors are Mm -hmm. investing in athletes like myself and that's the same with the able-bodied side a lot of them if you look at say again Federer like a big name that people know about his main source of income is not from prize money it's from sponsorships and so that's really cool that we're starting to mimic that as well um are we making the same type of money no but everything starts somewhere right and so I think things are are growing and um if, if my career can model something for someone coming up who will make much more money than me in the future, I'm sure, then that's really exciting.
0: Yeah. And like you said, it's, it's an evolution and and it is improving, It is, uh, but we're not quite there yet in terms of parity. No, and, well,
1: we're <laughs> on our way.
0: <laughs> on our way, exactly. And the other part or component I want to talk about, is, of course, we talked about men's and women's and, and quads, but also... I uh, wanted to make sure that we talked about singles versus doubles, um, yeah. and and I know that you play both, or most athletes probably play both, right? I mean, yes, the-
1: that's where wheelchair tennis is a little different. I think on the able-bodied side, people specialize, so you're either mm-hmm. a double specialist or a singles player. And in the wheelchair divisions, we really play both. So at every tournament I go to, I'm playing singles and doubles.
0: Yeah, and and do you have a a, a preference or um Do you lean towards one or the other, or what are your thoughts on each each of those uh, two different h- how we broke that out?
1: It's an interesting question. So I think that because I grew up playing team sports soccer was the sport that I loved growing up. I think I have a personality that loves working with someone
2: mm-hmm.
1: So I love playing doubles. I think that I get really amped for doubles <laughs> um. Even when I'm playing singles for our USA team competitions, I get way more amped for that because I know that people need me to perform and I'm celebrating with someone or I'm, do you know what I mean? I love that environment. Yeah. So there is something about me that I think relaxes a bit more on a doubles court, has a bit more fun on a doubles court. Um, however, when kind of like I was saying before with that perfect forehand when you're playing a singles match and you're seeing all of your hard work come together and you're just playing amazing that day mm-hmm. and you finally have like a breakthrough win you know that that was because you did all that hard work nobody else but you and i mean of course your coaches and everyone can celebrate that with you but in terms of like doing it that was all you and that's a natural high that i can't explain um however same with doubles and in singles. When you're not having a good day in singles, you're out there on an island by yourself and you have to get through that hour and a half or however long that is alone. And that can be really hard. And in doubles, it can it can be a great thing having a partner that can kind of lift you out of that. Or if they're playing really well and you're playing awful, it feels terrible because you're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> so Tennis is very much a mental battle. Um, but I think depending on the day I would pick singles or doubles. Um, but I think that on average doubles excites me more. I love winning with someone and I love being there for someone. Um, yeah, those have probably been some of my favorite tennis memories.
0: That's cool. I like that perspective too. That's, that's really neat. And, and one of the things I also wanted to ask you about, Dina is just in terms of what do you need to play the sport? So, and obviously, not just the racket and the ball. And
1: I know I was like, well, <laughs> yeah,
0: and, and a sports chair. But, you know, I'm thinking things like, you know, obviously you need like, like hand eye coordination, you know, and yeah. And there's so what are those types of things that you need? Not equipment specific, but kind of like uh, maybe, maybe skill specific a little bit. But uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about that.
1: Sure. Um, hand eye coordination for sure. It's a very detailed sport, I would say, and maybe other athletes will disagree with me. I would say that tennis is really only rivaled by golf in terms of the level of technique
2: that's needed. Hmm.
1: Everything is very technique driven to the point where if you contact the ball half an inch different, you Mm -hmm. can completely miss hit it. You can spray it. You can hit it long. You can hit it in the net. Mm
2: -hmm. There's
1: very, once you're at a higher level, your margins for success become very small. Um, and I think that's why a lot of times you find tennis players that are perfectionists. I think a lot of athletes across all sports are perfectionists, but tennis players, especially are like pretty neurotic myself included, <laughs> but it's, I think it's because it's so detailed and you focus on like, you really micromanage yourself. You micromanage everything because like, for instance, today, when I was at practice, my serve was going in the net. So then I have to kind of troubleshoot and analyze and be like, okay. I think my toss is too far um, in front of me. I need to bring my toss back. I need to make sure I keep my left arm up. I need to accelerate my wrist. Like, it's all these little things. Um, and that leads me into my next thing is that in order to be a tennis player, you have to be a very good problem solver. Mm. Um, that probably can piggyback on the first question that you asked me about why I like tennis. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because I love solving puzzles. I love riddles. I love puzzles. I love escape rooms, all that sort of thing. And tennis is very similar. Oh my gosh. I love an escape room. (laughs) I've probably done like 30. Oh my goodness. (laughs)
2: Um,
1: But tennis is very much a big puzzle or a chess game that you have to figure out a lot of times by yourself because we don't have coaching. Um, and We don't have anyone there kind of whispering like, oh, her backhand's really weak. Why aren't you pinning that? You have to see that by yourself. Or if someone is just having a great day where their backhand's on fire, their forehand's on fire, you don't really don't know where to hit to. You have to figure out, should I hit up? Should I take pace off the ball? Should I try to bring her in? Should I, do you know what I mean? And you have to be Mm -hmm. able to problem solve on the fly. We don't have timeouts really where you can go and convene with someone. So I think that being able and also wanting to solve puzzles actively is a big thing in tennis. what else do you need? Obviously, you have to have really good chair skills.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: think that you can always tell if someone wasn't an, an able-bodied pro and then became disabled because their shots are amazing, but their chair skills are terrible. Right. Um, so it's not just about being able to hit a forehand. It's that that's a big part. But and an able-bodied tennis player would say the same thing. You can hit really well, but if your footwork isn't there,
2: mm-hmm. you're not
1: going to be good. And basketball is the same. Like their chair skills are incredible. Um, so yeah, you have to be, I think in terms of tennis, especially you have to be a very well-rounded athlete. I think you have to be strong, um, but to a certain degree, you don't want to be too strong in tennis because then your agility is kind of taken away. Um, you have to be fast. You have a lot of court to cover and you have to be able to be very, um, cardiovascularly fit because you only have a limit of like. 20-25 seconds in between points and then you're back out there there's no time limit for a tennis match so it can go on and on and on I've had matches that are over three hours and you can't just be like let's take a 20 minute break you know what I mean let's go have lunch (laughs) um so yeah I think I think one of the things that makes me a good tennis player though is what I kind of said before that I love puzzles and I'm stubborn So I, yeah, my mom likens me to a football player. I don't know if I said this when we spoke before, but if I really want something, I try every avenue that I can take to get it. So I would go like first down, second down, third down, fourth down to try to get what I want. And I think that's made me a good athlete and that I don't like being told no. And I don't like being told that I'm going to lose. I try to figure out ways to win. And tennis is definitely a great sport for someone with that mentality.
0: And I I guess the last question I have for you is kind of a, a little add on to that is just what, what do, you know, prospective players uh, need to know, you know, just um, either words of advice or thoughts or uh, insights that you might have for someone that, that hasn't tried it yet.
1: Um, I think that tennis is often one of those overlooked sports because it's not as, you know, it's not as sexy as track or basketball for a lot of kids. It doesn't look as fun. Um, And again, like all the detail of it and all the, you know, like a different grip for a forehand and a backhand and all those things can be really off-putting to someone new. But my advice would be just try it. Um, It's such a cool sport in terms of socially, you can meet people from all different walks of life. Like, So many of my favorite people that I've ever met are because of tennis, whether that be coaches or different players. Um, It gives you so many opportunities to see the world like we talked about earlier. Um, You can go to college on a tennis scholarship, which I was lucky enough to do at Arizona. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just one of the few sports that can really open up so many doors. So I would encourage anyone that is even curious about tennis to try it. And even if you're not interested in it professionally, it's such a cool sport because like you said before, it can integrate so well with the able-bodied game. So, you know, if you don't have any other friends that have disabilities, you don't need to have another person that plays tennis in a wheelchair to play tennis. You can go out and play with someone on their feet. You can play singles. You can play doubles. You can like, it's one of those really cool sports that you can go out and play against a wall if you want to. Um, the longevity that you can have in the sport is really cool. And it's great for socializing, you know, like they have able-bodied league tennis that I know a lot of people in chairs have joined and they say it's really great for exercise, for making friends. Um, I think tennis is just a really unique sport that way that it can, yes, professionally be an incredible opportunity, but even at a recreational level, it's amazing. And I think personally, Tennis is what gave me my life back. And I know that sounds like such a cliche type of thing, but I really mean it. Like when I got injured, obviously at a young age and everything, like my whole sense of self was completely rocked. Like I felt like my independence was gone. I needed my mom to help me with so much stuff or I thought I did. And um, didn't really know like what my life was gonna be like or if I would really be athletic or what my body could do. And tennis and sport in general, but tennis especially taught me how much my body can still do and all the things that I'm going to teach it to do in the future, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I'm way stronger now than I ever was when I was able-bodied. And a lot of that is to not just like emotionally strong, but physically as well. And I think tennis is rare and that being a singular sport, you have to put in the work. And you get to see the results of your hard work. And um I love that. So anybody that's curious about tennis, give it a try, because I think lots of doors will be open for you.